Hi, I'm Alessa Pindak, MindBodyGreen's Chief Content Officer. Today's podcast is brought to you by our partner, Westin Hotels and Resorts. We traveled to the Westin, Sarasota, and Florida for our destination wellness event, a morning of movement, healthy breakfast, and wellness inspiration. We had inspiring discussions that were too good not to share, so we're broadcasting them here on the MindBodyGreen podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce Max Lugavir, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. Max and I discuss the most common brain myths, and he offers specific expert advice on how to optimize brain health while you travel. You'll learn about the foods you should bring on the plane, how you should plan your travel itineraries, and how traveling itself can actually boost your brain power. No matter where you are in the world, you'll have the ability to keep your brain sharp and healthy. Hi, everyone. Um, Welcome back. Uh, I hope that you guys have had an awesome morning so far. You got your blood pumping with some good workout and you got some sunshine and some food. So now we're going to get ready to get our brains pumping. So travel's on the brain. Um, And I wanted to (laughs) ask you, first of all, um, can travel actually improve our neuroplasticity? In other words, our ability to learn? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Who here likes to travel? Raise your hand. Okay, cool. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, travel's amazing. I mean, it's it's literally like life begins at the end of your comfort zone. I think I saw that on a bumper sticker once. I like and it. And that is certainly New true motto. for your cognitive health uh, as well. You know, they've done studies in... It's kind of difficult to see neurogenesis happening, which is the birth of new brain cells in a live human. But they've done studies in mice where they found that when you take a mouse and you allow it to stagnate in its same old environment, there is no growth. Whereas... Um, or there's a diminished uh, rate of growth. Whereas if you take that same mouse and you put it in what scientists call an enriched environment, so an environment full of running wheels and toys and novelty, that there is four times as much uh, connection between brain cells that are created. Synaptogenesis is what it's called. So, you know, travel, the way that I think about travel is like it's plunging myself into an enriched environment. It's like roads and streets that I, you know, am unfamiliar to. It's, you know... If we're talking about a foreign country, it's street names that I can't pronounce. Uh, So, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, and there's certain biochemical changes that happen in the brain um, as well when we travel. I mean, it's uh, we're out of our comfort zones. So, you know, certain neurotransmitters are elevated that are involved in focus and attention. I mean, this is like there's inherent risk present with uncertainty, you know, and when you're in an uncertain and novel environment, um, Danger could lurk around the corner, potentially, right? So, yeah, I mean, you're primed for alertness, for, um, you know, for, uh, you know, remembering where you are. Spatial memory um, is primed. And so, yeah, I think it's really good for you. And then, of course, travel comes with all these other, you know, sort of tangential benefits to the body as well. So, I mean, you're eating different foods, you know, you're, you're getting more diversity in your diet in terms of the plants that you're eating or the herbs or spices. Um, you're maybe a little bit more active than you are at home because you're walking around a lot, which, you know, torches calories, just, you know, being, just being not sedentary is so good for the body. Um, getting sun, you know, we're out here in beautiful Sarasota, which is amazing. I woke up this morning, I went to the gorgeous roof deck and I got some sun and some light into my eyes to help anchor my body's circadian rhythm so there's so much i mean travel is just like yeah it's it's borderline medicinal i would say it's 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 great for you and then of course there's like the learning about new cultures and meeting new people and yeah 
So Great. excellent for your brain overall. Excellent, excellent. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything specific that we should do when we travel to try and really boost our brain power? Is there anything that you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's it it can be difficult to eat healthy when you're on the road, but certainly you know making the right hotel choices can go a long way in terms of making sure that you're you know able to stay on track with the with your you know whatever your dietary um, choices happen to be. Staying active and exer and and exercising. Um, is crucial. You know, those are, those are important, uh, habits that I like to set for myself. I mean, generally when it comes to food, what I do when I'm on the road is I give in to, I try, I try new things, whatever those things may be. And so I always try to make sure that my exercise is staying, um, that I'm exercising, uh, at the same time so that I can sort of like put, you know, maybe that influx of calories to like good use by, you know, maybe building a little extra like strength and muscle while I'm on the road. You don't need a gym. I mean, it's great to have a good gym, but you can do lots of good workouts. Like on the beach, you can do beach sprints. You can do um, calisthenics in your room. So, I mean, travel is, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, I'm on the road. I'm, you know, there's no good opportunity to exercise, but I think it's a, there's, there's always opportunities to exercise. So, yeah, getting the good. The world is your gym. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We don't always have control over our, our itineraries, but if we do, do you recommend one of those packed, jam-packed itineraries where it's one thing after another and you're constantly stimulating your brain, or is it better for your brain to kind of just chill out and relax and take that time to you know, really um, take a little relaxed time? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think we want to embody um, you know, the, that ancient uh, Chinese principle of yin and yang. You know, We want to embody sort of uh, excitation and inhibition, excitement and relaxation, um, you know, super high intensity and super low intensity. So I think like finding a balance of both is important. I, uh, when I travel, sometimes I bring my little brother along with me and he's really unique in that I've never seen anybody not get tired the way that he does not get tired. And he's always like wanting to What's do the secret. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he's just like, he's just a very concentrated, like he's like a little battery pack. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, and he's always wanting to do things. And I think, like, I always try to push him to, like, you know, get in some, like, relaxation time to allow the experiences that you're having to set in, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's important to, to embody both. I think if you're just running and gunning it, um, you know, that's not good. Life is about balance. And if you're just chronically uh, wearing yourself out. I mean, the wear and tear that's going to come from that is not good, but it could also compromise your immune system. Um, you know, you don't want to get sick when you're traveling. That's a no, no. So I think it's about, it's about finding a way to strike that balance. Now I know that, um, brain food and nutrition is something that you think about a lot. Um, what are your tips for anything that you can do when you're still on the road and making sure that you're taking care of your brain from a nutrition perspective? From a food perspective, um, you know, I mean, people have different different uh, dietary um, inclinations, but I definitely always am looking for the most nutrient-dense foods that I can find um, when I'm traveling. And, you know, I hit the breakfast buffet earlier. I loaded up on berries, which I know are really good for, you know, cognitive health. Um, got some eggs, which are like nature's cognitive multivitamin, I call them. Um I always uh, love to visit when I'm traveling like local farmers markets or supermarkets. I did that recently. I was in um, Finland and I got to go to, to check out like a, they have like these halls where they have like all these little vendors and I got to try all the local cuisine. Um, 
and yeah, like loading up like my bag with like goodies so that I always have sort of like a buffer of healthy nutrient dense snacks. So, you know, I call them genius foods, eggs, um, dark leafy greens, avocados, nuts, berries. Um, these are all foods that are gonna, I think, give you that buffer. You know, when you, when you go for the more indulgent foods that you're going to want to, when you're on vacation, you know, you should, obviously we should all treat ourselves. Um, but you don't want to forget about the needs of your brain and body so that you can literally like be there and show up to your experience and be the best version of yourself that you can be. So it's always about, yeah. Um, trying to get like that daily salad in every day. That's a rule that I set for myself, a big daily salad. Um, no matter where you are in the world, it's, that's pretty easy to find. Um, so yeah. Let's get to some, um, brain myths. Um, so tell me yes or no, uh, myth number one, puzzles and games are the best kind of brain workout. Uh, puzzles and games. I would say that they're good for you, but I would say that they're definitely not the best. Um, the best workout that you can give your brain is, is actually a physical workout is getting to the gym. Um, I mean, research now is coming out by the day validating how exercise is basically a tonic for the brain, both in terms of your neurological health, in terms of the architecture of your brain, but also mental health. So, I mean, a lot of people are struggling with issues related to mental health, anxiety, depression, um, whatever exercise modality you prefer to do, know that whatever, whenever you peel yourself off the couch to get to the gym, that your brain is going to reward you with feel good chemicals with proteins that promote neuroplasticity, which is basically how your brain is able to stay youthful as it ages. Um, but this is, uh, I mean, there's, there's little question in my, in my mind that, you know, when we're feeling, you know, maybe anxious or a little down on ourselves or even fatigued when we don't want to work out, those are the times when we really need to push ourselves um, to get to the gym because, yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a potent tonic. I mean, now they they recently updated treatment guidelines for a condition called mild cognitive impairment, which is sort of like pre-dementia. A physician can literally now write exercise on a prescription pad to help treat this condition. There is no pharmaceutical drug that's FDA approved to treat MCI. It's literally just exercise at this point. Um, they've done meta-analyses just over the past year uh, where they found that aerobic exercise and resistance training, which is great because I've always been more in favor of resistance training, uh, can help treat depression, whether or not you have clinical, you know, clinically diagnosed depression, major depression, or if you just have, you know, uh, uh, blue mood, um, and also anxiety. So it's, yeah, I would say in terms of a brain workout, a brain tonic, physical exercise, just moving your body. Get up. Um, but this yeah. leads right into our next myth, which is that um, cardio is the best kind of exercise for the brain. You said before it was kind of a mix. Yeah. Where, where so, does that land? Well, I think a lot of the – there is, I think, a bias in the research in terms of uh, aerobic exercise and its relationship to the brain. Just because when people think about working out, I mean, you just kind of think about – you know, getting on the treadmill and like having a workout on the treadmill, right? Um, but, you know, for a long time, so for a long time, that was really the focus. But as I like to say, you know, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And so that didn't, just because there was a preponderance of research focusing on cardio, that doesn't, that didn't, that never meant that resistance training was not as good for the brain. But now there's actually a bunch of, of studies that have come out showing us that really, I mean, ultimately, whatever 
type of exercise you like to do, um, you know, it, it all benefits the brain. Uh, yeah. And there's also a, a relationship between muscle strength and brain health. So, you know, that saying thick thighs save lives. I mean, it, it may, <laughs> there's, it, that's, that's a truism now with scientific backing. I love where science is going. <laughs> Great. Um, sleep health and brain health are intimately connected. Sleep and brain health are intimately connected. Yes. Um, thankfully, I had an amazing sleep last night, thanks to the, the heavenly bed <laughs> here at Weston that they're, that they're, I guess, known for. Um, but no, when you sleep, your brain is literally cleansing itself. Um, every 20 minutes, this was published, I forget the journal, but literally over the past two weeks, they found that in humans, every 20 minutes, there's like this wave of cerebrospinal fluid that rushes through your brain and cleanses it of these proteins that can aggregate and form plaques. And these plaques are uh, characteristic of Alzheimer's disease um, and just, you know, cognitive aging in general. And so sleep is, in, it's, you know, it's so valuable in terms of, of getting those proteins out. Um, they've shown that just one night of poor sleep there's an increase in this amyloid protein, actually, that they can measure in cerebrospinal fluid of up to 30%. So, I mean, just one night of sleep is enough to, is to move the needle. Um, and then from the standpoint of the body, which also influences brain health, sleep is important for regulating our hormones. It's a master regulator of uh, hormones related to um, energy metabolism. So, like, your metabolic rate, your metabolism, how many calories you burn, you know, which is important for obviously maintaining a healthy weight. Um, these are, these hormones are influenced by sleep, our hunger levels. You know, when we're underslept, we consume anywhere between 400 and 500 additional calories extra per day, the following day. Um, and if you compound that over a week, if we're undersleeping every night for a week, well, that adds up to basically a pound of extra fat stored um, in a week, just all due to undersleeping. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's crucial and it's free, you know, um, which is great. And, you know, I know a lot of people romanticize being busy and of course some people are busy just, you know, I mean, I have a lot of friends now that are, that are having kids and they're underslept and, you know, thankfully I, I haven't yet, um, <laughs> I haven't gone through that that gauntlet myself, but uh, but I think you know where, wherever you can try to maximize your sleep opportunity, um, that's going to pay you off in dividends in terms of how you feel, brain health, and also your body health as well. So then, is there anything we can do to recover from one of those nights? If you have one of those terrible nights where whatever happens and you're just not getting a good night's sleep, what do you do the next day to try and recover from that? I think they've shown that exercise. Um, this seems to be a theme. Can help, yeah, can help sort of normalize some of the deficits that occur. Getting, uh, I know Whitney's going to talk about the value of getting bright light um, in through your eyes when you arrive in a new location in terms of travel. But I think when you're underslept, that can help as well. Um, just making sure that you get out, you know. Um, what happens is when we're, when we wake up early on shortened sleep, you know, the sleep hormone melatonin is normally when we wake up naturally without an alarm clock, there's no melatonin in circulation. Melatonin is like a sleep hormone. It becomes elevated, you know, when the sun goes down, it starts to rise, and then um, it's really at its peak just before we go to sleep. But uh, when we wake up due to an alarm clock or a baby crying or whatever, you know, that hormone actually can still be elevated 
while we are awake. And that's a problem because melatonin actually is at odds with some of the processes in the body that support activity. So one of the ways that you can kind of like pump the brakes on that is to just go outside and get like bright light in through your eyes. That's great. Yeah, bright light is like, it basically like closes the faucet on melatonin production because bright light signals to your body that it's daytime. And so melatonin production then plummets. I like this term that you're using, underslept. I don't know if that's a common research term, but I like it. I think I'm going to start using that one, underslept. Yeah, I mean, people yeah. can be, there's like... I'm there's, grumpy because I'm underslept. Yeah, there's two... It seems there, useful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, you can be underslept, you can have like poor, you can have, uh, you know, shortened sleep, or you can have low sleep quality. Those are kind of the two um, things that we want to optimize when looking to improve sleep. It's like we want to like be able to sleep for as long as we can. Um, not too long, but like eight hours seems to be a magic window, uh, or a magic number. And then we want to improve the quality of that sleep also. So, I mean, just sleeping for eight hours, uh, if your sleep quality is not great, um, then that's not good either. So we want to, we want to have a, You're not getting those 20 minute refreshes, <laughs> right? Yeah. But we also want a qualitative improvement as well. All right. Let's end with one last, um, myth, which is that the best breakfast for brain health includes protein. The best breakfast for brain health includes protein. Yeah, I would say that that's true. I always am trying to get protein first thing in the morning. I mean, protein is crucial. So I hit the gym earlier. And after a workout, um, especially when you have like a fasted workout, you want to make sure to get some protein um, after your workout. Uh, but also, you know, protein is the, it serves as the backbone of your neurotransmitters, which are brain chemicals that are important for everything from learning and memory to your mood, to being happy and feeling a sense of re reward. So getting good protein, um, whatever your, your favorite sources happen to be, um, is crucial. And by getting protein first thing in the morning, protein is the most satiating, uh, macronutrient. So, you know, among carbs, protein, and fat protein is the one of those that's going to fill you up the most. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's also not going to mess with your blood sugar too much. So when you get protein first thing in the morning, it's good because it keeps you satiated um, throughout the day. You know, you're not going to be, you're not going to have hunger craving, hunger pangs. Um, but it also doesn't mess mess with your blood sugar, uh, so you're not going to have that sort of like, you know, post breakfast dip where you feel like you've just been hit by a train, and um, and then yeah, and it also supports healthy brain function. Fantastic, Max. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm excited <laughs> to record this podcast with you. Awesome. Okay.